Section two of What is Property? This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. What is Property? An Inquiry into the Principle of Right and of Government by Pierre Joseph Proudhon. Translated by Benjamin R. Tucker. P. J. Proudhon, His Life and Works, Part Two. Le Miserere, or the Repentance of a King, which he published in March 1845, in the Revue Indépendante, during that Lenten season when Lacordaire was preaching in Lyon, proves that, though devoting himself with ardor to the study of economical problems, Proudhon had not lost his interest in questions of religious history. Among his writings on these questions, which he was unfortunately obliged to leave unfinished, we may mention a nearly completed history of the early Christian heresies, and of the struggle of Christianity against Caesarism. We have said that, in 1848, Proudhon recognized three masters. Having no knowledge of the German language, he could not have read the works of Hegel, which at that time had not been translated into French. It was Charles Grun, a German, who had come to France to study the various philosophical and socialistic systems, who gave him the substance of the Hegelian ideas. During the winter of 1844-45, Charles Grun had some long conversations with Proudhon, which determined very decisively not the ideas, which belonged exclusively to the Byzantine thinker, but the form of the important work on which he laboured after 1843, and which was published in 1846 by Grillomer. Hegel's great idea, which Proudhon appropriated, and which he demonstrates with wonderful ability in the system of economical contradictions, is as follows. Antinomy, that is, the existence of two laws or tendencies which are opposed to each other, is possible, not only with two different things, but with one and the same thing. Considered in their thesis, that is, in the law or tendency which created them, all the economical categories are rational. Competition, monopoly, the balance of trade and property, as well as the division of labor, machinery, taxation and credit. But, like communism and population, all these categories are antinomical. All are opposed not only to each other, but to themselves. All is opposition, and disorder is born of this system of opposition. Hence the subtitle of the work, Philosophy of Misery. No category can be suppressed. The opposition, antinomy, or contratendance, which exists in each of them, cannot be suppressed. Where, then, lies the solution of the social problem? Influenced by the Hegelian ideas, Proudhon began to look for it in a superior synthesis, which should reconcile the thesis and antithesis. Afterwards, while at work upon his book on justice, he saw that the antinomical terms do not cancel each other, any more than the opposite poles of an electric pile destroy each other, that they are procreative cause of motion, life, and progress, that the problem is to discover not their fusion, which would be death, but their equilibrium, an equilibrium forever unstable, varying with the development of society. 
on the cover of the system of economical contradictions proudhon announced as soon to appear his solution of the social problem his work upon which he was engaged when the revolution of eighteen forty eight broke out had to be cut up into pamphlets and newspaper articles the two pamphlets which he published in march eighteen forty eight before he became editor of le représentant du peuple bear the same title solution of the social problem the first which is mainly a criticism of the early acts of the provisional government is notable for the fact that in it proudhon in advance of all others energetically opposed the establishment of national workshops the second organization of credit and circulation sums up in a few pages his idea of economical progress a gradual reduction of interest profit rent taxes and wages all progress hitherto has been made in this manner in this manner it must continue to be made those working men who favor a nominal increase of wages are unconsciously following a back track opposed to all their interests after having published in le représentant du peuple the statutes of the bank of exchange a bank which was to make no profits since it was to have no stockholders and which consequently was to discount commercial paper without interest charging only a commission sufficient to defray its running expenses proudhon endeavoured in a number of articles to explain its mechanism and necessity these articles have been collected in one volume under the double title resume of the social question bank of exchange his other articles those which up to december eighteen forty eight were inspired by the progress of events have been collected in another volume revolutionary ideas almost unknown in march eighteen forty eight and struck off in april from the list of candidates for the constituent assembly by the delegation of working men which sat at the luxembourg proudhon had but a very small number of votes at the general elections of april at the complimentary elections which were held in the early days of june he was elected in paris by seventy seven thousand votes after the fatal days of june he published an article on le terme which caused the first suspension of le représentant du peuple it was at that time that he introduced a bill into the assembly which being referred to the committee of the finances drew forth first the report of m Thiers, and then the speech which proudhon delivered on the thirty first of july in reply to this report le représentant du peuple reappearing a few days later he wrote apropos of the new law requiring journals to give bonds his famous article on the malthusians august tenth eighteen forty eight ten days afterwards le représentant du peuple again suspended definitely ceased to appear le peuple of which he was the editor-in-chief and the first number of which was issued in the early part of september appeared weekly at first for want of sufficient bonds it afterwards appeared daily with a double number once a week before le peuple had obtained its first bond proudhon published a remarkable pamphlet on the right to labor a right which he denied in the form in which it was then affirmed it was during the same period that he proposed at the poissonniere banquet his toast to the revolution proudhon who had been asked to preside at the banquet refused and proposed in his stead first 
led Rurola, and then, in view of the reluctance of the organizers of the banquet, the illustrious president of the party of the mountain, Lamennais. It was evidently his intention to induce the representatives of the extreme left to proclaim at last with him the democratic and social republic. Lamennais being accepted by the organizers, the mountain promised to be present at the banquet. The night before, all seemed right. When General Cavagnac replaced Minister Senard by Minister Dauphort Vivien, the mountain, questioning the government, proposed a vote of confidence in the old minister, and, tacitly, of want of confidence in the new. Proudhon abstained from voting on this proposition. The mountain declared that it would not attend the banquet if Proudhon was to be present. Five Montagnards, Mathieu of Drome at their head, went to the temporary office of Le Peuple to notify him of this. Citizen Proudhon, said they to the organizers in his presence, in abstaining from voting today on the proposition of the mountain, has betrayed the Republican cause. Proudhon, vehemently questioned, began his defense by recalling, on the one hand, the treatment which he had received from the dismissed minister, and on the other, the impartial conduct displayed towards him in 1840 by M. Vivien, the new minister. He then attacked the mountain by telling its delegates that it sought only a pretext, and that really, in spite of its professions of socialism in private conversation, whether with him or with the organizers of the banquet, it had not the courage to publicly declare itself socialist. On the following day, in his toast to the revolution, a toast which was filled with allusions to the exciting scene of the night before, Proudhon commenced his struggle against the mountain. His duel with Felix Payat was one of the episodes of this struggle, which became less bitter on Proudhon's side after the mountain finally decided to publicly proclaim the democratic and social republic. The campaign for the election of a president of the republic had just begun. Proudhon made a very sharp attack on the candidacy of Louis Bonaparte in a pamphlet which is regarded as one of his literary chef d'oeuvre, the pamphlet of the presidency. An opponent of this institution, against which he had voted in the Constituent Assembly, he at first decided to take no part in the campaign, but soon seeing that he was thus increasing the chances of Louis Bonaparte, and that if, as was not at all possible, the latter should not obtain an absolute majority of the votes, the Assembly would not fail to elect General Cavagnac, he espoused, for the sake of form, the candidacy of Raspel, who was supported by his friends in the Socialist Committee. Charles de Lescluze, the editor-in-chief of La Révolution Démocratique et Sociale, who could not forgive him for having preferred Raspail to Ledru Rollin, the candidate of the mountain, attacked him on the day after the election with a violence which overstepped all bounds. At first, Proudhon had the wisdom to refrain from answering him. At length, driven to an extremity, he became aggressive himself and Delescluze sent him his seconds. This time, Proudhon positively refused to fight. He would not have fought with Félix Payat, had not his courage been called in question. On the 25th of January, 1849, Proudhon, rising from a sickbed, saw that the existence of the Constituent Assembly was endangered by the coalition of the monarchical parties with Louis Bonaparte, who was already planning his coup d'etat, 
he did not hesitate to openly attack the man who had just received five millions of votes he wanted to break the idol he succeeded only in getting prosecuted and condemned himself the prosecution demanded against him was authorization of a majority of the constituent assembly in spite of the speech which he delivered on that occasion declared guilty by the jury he was sentenced in march eighteen forty nine to three years imprisonment and the payment of a fine of ten thousand francs proudhon had not abandoned for a single moment his project of a bank of exchange which was to operate without capital with a sufficient number of merchants and manufacturers for adherents this bank which he then called the bank of the people and around which he wished to gather the numerous working people's associations which had been formed since the twenty fourth of february eighteen forty eight had already obtained a certain number of subscribers and adherents the latter of the number of thirty seven thousand it was about to commence operations when proudhon's sentence forced him to choose between imprisonment and exile he did not hesitate to abandon his project and return the money to the subscribers he explained the motives which led him to this decision in an article in le peuple having fled to belgium he remained there but a few days going thence to paris under an assumed name to conceal himself in a house in the rue de chabral from his hiding-place he sent articles almost every day signed and unsigned to le peuple in the evening dressed in a blouse he went to some secluded spot to take the air soon emboldened by habit he risked an evening promenade upon the boulevards and afterwards carried his imprudence so far as to take a stroll by daylight in the neighbourhood of the gare du nord it was not long before he was recognised by the police who arrested him on the sixth of june eighteen forty nine in the rue du faubourg poissonniere taken to the office of the prefect of police then to sainte pelagie he was in the conciergerie on the day of thirteenth of june eighteen forty nine which ended with the violent suppression of le peuple he then began to write the confessions of a revolutionist published towards the end of the year he had been again transferred to saint pelagie when he married in december eighteen forty nine mademoiselle euphrasie pigard a young working girl whose hand he had requested in eighteen forty seven madame proudhon bore him four daughters of whom but two catherine and stephanie survived their father stephanie died in eighteen seventy three in october eighteen forty nine le peuple was replaced by a new journal la voix du peuple which proudhon edited from his prison cell in it were published his discussions with pierre leroux and bastia the political articles which he sent to la voix du peuple so displeased the government finally that it transferred him to doulon where he was secretly confined for some time afterwards taken back to paris to appear before the assizes of the seine in reference to an article in la voix du peuple he was defended by monsieur cremieux and acquitted from the conciergerie he went again to saint pelagie where he ended his three years in prison on sixth of june eighteen fifty two la voix du peuple suppressed before the promulgation of the law of the thirty first of may had been replaced by a weekly sheet le peuple of eighteen fifty established by the aid of the principal members of the mountain this journal soon met with the fate of its predecessors 
In 1851, several months before the coup d'etat, Proudhon published the general idea of the revolution of the 19th century, in which, after having shown the logical series of unitary governments, from monarchy, which is the first term, to the direct government of the people, which is the last, he opposes the ideal of anarchy or self-government to the communistic or governmental ideal. At this period, the Socialist Party, discouraged by the elections of 1849, which resulted in a greater conservative triumph than those of 1848, and justly angry with the national representative body, which had just passed the law of the 31st of May, 1850, demanded direct legislation and direct government. Proudhon, who did not want, at any price, the plebiscitary system which he had good reason to regard as destructive of liberty, did not hesitate to point out, to those of his friends who expected everything from direct legislation, one of the antinomies of universal suffrage, in so far as it is an institution intended to achieve for the benefits of the greatest number the social reforms to which landed suffrage is opposed universal suffrage is powerless especially if it pretends to legislate or govern directly for until the social reforms are accomplished the greatest number is of necessity the least enlightened and consequently the least capable of understanding and effecting reforms in regard to the antinomy pointed out by him of liberty and government whether the latter be monarchic aristocratic or democratic in form proudhon whose chief desire was to preserve liberty naturally sought the solution in the free contract but though the free contract may be a practical solution of purely economical questions it cannot be made use of in politics proudhon recognized this ten years later when his beautiful study on war and peace led him to find in the federative principle the exact equilibrium of liberty and government the social revolution demonstrated by the coup d'etat appeared in eighteen fifty two a few months after his release from prison at that time terror prevailed to such an extent that no one was willing to publish his book without express permission from the government he succeeded in obtaining this permission by writing to Louis Bonaparte a letter which he published at the same time with the work. The letter being offered for sale, Proudhon was warned that he would not be allowed to publish any more books of the same character. At that time, he entertained the idea of writing a universal history entitled Kronos. This project was never fulfilled. Already the father of two children, and about to be presented with a third, Proudhon was obliged to devise some immediate means of gaining a living. He resumed his labours and published, at first anonymously, the manual of a speculator in the stock exchange. Later, in 1857, after having completed the work, he did not hesitate to sign it, acknowledging in the preface his indebtedness to his collaborator, G. Duchesne. Meantime, he vainly sought permission to establish a journal or review. This permission was steadily refused him. The imperial government always suspected him after the publication of the social revolution demonstrated by the coup d'etat. Towards the end of 1853, Proudhon issued in Belgium a pamphlet entitled The Philosophy of Progress. Entirely inoffensive as it was, this pamphlet, which he endeavoured to send into France, was seized on the frontier. 
Proudhon's complaints were of no avail. The empire gave grants after grants to large companies. A financial society, having asked for the grant of a railroad in the east of France, employed Proudhon to write several memoirs in support of this demand. The grant was given to another company. The author was offered an indemnity as compensation, to be paid, as was customary in such cases, by the company which received the grant. It is needless to say that Proudhon would accept nothing. Then, wishing to explain to the public, as well as to the government, the end which he had in view, he published the work entitled Reforms to be Effected in the Management of Railroads. Towards the end of 1854, Proudhon had already begun his book on justice, when he had a violent attack of cholera, from which he recovered with great difficulty. Ever afterwards, his health was delicate. At last, on the 22nd of April, 1858, he published in three large volumes the important work upon which he had laboured since 1854. This work had two titles. The first, Justice in the Revolution and in the Church. The second, New Principles of Practical Philosophy, addressed to His Highness Monsieur Mathieu, Cardinal Archbishop of Besançon. On the 27th of April, when there had scarcely been time to read the work, an order was issued by the magistrate for its seizure. On the 28th, the seizure was effected. To this first act of the magistracy, the author of the incriminated book replied on the 11th of May in a strongly motivated petition demanding a revision of the Concordat of 1802, or, in other words, a new adjustment of the relations between church and state. At bottom, this petition was but the logical consequence of the work itself. An edition of a thousand copies being published on the 17th of May, the petition to the Senate was regarded by the public prosecutor as an aggravation of the offence or offences discovered in the body of the work to which it was an appendix, and was seized in its turn on the 23rd. On the 1st of June, the author appealed to the Senate in a second petition, which was deposited with the first in the office of the Secretary of the Assembly, the Guardian and Guarantee, according to the Constitution of 1852, of the Principles of 89. On the 2nd of June, the two processes being united, Proudhon appeared at the bar with his publisher, the printer of the book, and the printer of the petition, to receive the sentence of the police magistrate, which condemned him to three years' imprisonment, a fine of four thousand francs, and the suppression of his work. It is needless to say that the publisher and printers were also condemned by the sixth chamber. Proudhon lodged an appeal. He wrote a memoir which the law of 1819, in the absence of which he would have been liable to a new prosecution, gave him the power to publish previous to the hearing. Having decided to make use of the means which the law permitted, he urged in vain the printers who were prosecuted with him to lend him their aid. He then demanded of Attorney General Chez d'Estange a statement to the effect that the 23rd article of the law of the 17th of May 1819 allows a written defence and that a printer runs no risk in printing it. The Attorney General flatly refused. Proudhon then started for Belgium, where he printed his defence, which could not, of course, cross the French frontier. This memoir is entitled to rank with the best of Beaumarchais. It is entitled Justice Prosecuted by the Church, 
an appeal from the sentence passed upon p j prudhon by the police magistrate of the seine on the second of june eighteen fifty eight a very close discussion of the grounds of the judgment of the sixth chamber it was at the same time an excellent resume of his great work once in belgium prudhon did not fail to remain there in eighteen fifty nine after the general amnesty which followed the italian war he at first thought himself included in it but the imperial government consulted by his friends notified him that in its opinion and in spite of the contrary advice of m faustin elie his condemnation was not of a political character proudhon thus classed by the government with the authors of immoral works thought it beneath his dignity to protest and waited patiently for the advent of eighteen sixty three to allow him to return to france in belgium where he was not slow in forming new friendships he published in eighteen fifty nine to sixty in separate parts a new edition of his great work on justice each number contained in addition to the original text carefully reviewed and corrected numerous explanatory notes and some tidings of the revolution in these tidings which form a sort of review of the progress of ideas in europe proudhon sorrowfully asserts that after having for a long time marched at the head of the progressive nations france has become without appearing to suspect it the most retrogressive of nations and he considers her more than once as seriously threatened with moral death the italian war led him to write a new work which he published in eighteen sixty one entitled war and peace this work in which running counter to a multitude of ideas accepted until then without examination he pronounced for the first time against the restoration of an aristocracy and priestly poland and against the establishment of a unitary government in italy created for him a multitude of enemies most of his friends disconcerted by his categorical affirmation of a right of force notified him that they decidedly disapproved of his new publication you see triumphantly cried those with whom he had always combated this man is only a sophist led by his previous studies to test everything by the question of right proudhon asks in his war and peace whether there is a real right of which war is the vindication and victory the demonstration this right which he roughly calls the right of the strongest or the right of force and which is after all only the right of the most worthy to the preference in certain definite cases exists says proudhon independently of war it cannot be legitimately vindicated except where necessity clearly demands the subordination of one will to another and within the limits in which it exists that is without ever involving the enslavement of one by the other among nations the right of the majority which is only a corollary to the right of force is as unacceptable as universal monarchy hence until equilibrium is established and recognized between states or national forces there must be war war says proudhon is not always necessary to determine which side is the strongest and he has no trouble in proving this by examples drawn from the family the workshop and elsewhere passing then to the study of war he proves that it by no means corresponds in practice to that which it ought to be according to his theory of the right of force 
the systematic horrors of war naturally lead him to seek a cause for it other than the vindication of this right and then only does the economist take it upon himself to denounce this cause to those who like himself want peace the necessity of finding abroad a compensation for the misery resulting in every nation from the absence of economical equilibrium is according to proudhon the ever real though ever concealed cause of war the pages devoted to this demonstration and to his theory of poverty which he clearly distinguishes from misery and pauperism shed entirely new light upon the philosophy of history as for the author's conclusion it is a very simple one since the treaty of westphalia and especially since the treaties of eighteen fifteen equilibrium has been the international law of europe it remains now not to destroy it but while maintaining it to labor peacefully in every nation protected by it for the equilibrium of economical forces the last line of the book evidently written to check imperial ambition is humanity wants no more war in eighteen sixty one after garibaldi's expedition and the battle of castelfidaro proudhon immediately saw that the establishment of italian unity would be a severe blow to european equilibrium it was chiefly in order to maintain this equilibrium that he pronounced so energetically in favor of italian federation even though it should be at first only a federation of monarchs in vain was it objected that in being established by france italian unity would break european equilibrium in our favor proudhon appealing to history showed that every state which breaks the equilibrium in its own favor only causes the other states to combine against it and thereby diminishes its influence and power he added that nations being essentially selfish italy would not fail when opportunity offered to place her interest above her gratitude to maintain european equilibrium by diminishing great states and multiplying small ones to unite the latter in organized federations not for attack but for defense and with these federations which if they were not republican already would quickly become so to hold in check the great military monarchies such in the beginning of eighteen sixty one was the political program of proudhon the object of the federations he said will be to guarantee as far as possible the beneficent reign of peace and they will have the further effect of securing in every nation the triumph of liberty over despotism where the largest unitary state is their liberty is in the greatest danger further if this state be democratic despotism without the counterpoise of majorities is to be feared with the federation it is not so the universal suffrage of the federal state is checked by the universal suffrage of the federated states and the latter is offset in its turn by property the stronghold of liberty which it tends not to destroy but to balance with the institutions of mutualism all these ideas and many others which were only hinted at in his work on war and peace were developed by proudhon in his subsequent publications one of which has for its motto reforms always utopias never the thinker had evidently finished his evolution the council of state of the canton of vaux having offered prizes for essays on the question of taxation previously discussed at a congress held at lausanne 
Proudhon entered the ranks and carried off the first prize. His memoir was published in 1861 under the title of The Theory of Taxation. About the same time, he wrote at Brussels, in L'Office de Publicité, some remarkable articles on the question of literary property, which was discussed at a congress held in Belgium. These articles must not be confounded with Literary Majora, a more complete work on the same subject, which was published in 1863, soon after his return to France. Arbitrarily accepted from the amnesty in 1859, Proudhon was pardoned two years later by a special act. He did not wish to take advantage of this favour, and seemed resolved to remain in Belgium until the 2nd of June, 1863, the time when he was to acquire the privilege of prescription, when an absurd and ridiculous riot, excited in Brussels by an article published by him on Federation and Unity in Italy, induced him to hasten his return to France. Stones were thrown against the house in which he lived, in the Faubourg d'Ixelles, after having placed his wife and daughters in safety among his friends at Brussels, he arrived in Paris in September 1862, and published there Federation and Italian Unity, a pamphlet which naturally commences with the article, which served as a pretext for the rioters in Brussels. Among the works begun by Proudhon while in Belgium, which death did not allow him to finish, we ought to mention A History of Poland, which will be published later and the theory of property which appeared in eighteen sixty five before gospels annotated and after the volume entitled the principle of art and its social destiny the publications of proudhon in eighteen sixty three were one literary majora an examination of a bill having for its object the creation of a perpetual monopoly for the benefit of authors inventors and artists two the federative principle and the necessity of re-establishing the revolutionary party. 3. The sworn Democrats and the refractories. 4. Whether the treaties of 1815 have ceased to exist. Acts of the Future Congress. The disease which was destined to kill him grew worse and worse, but Proudhon laboured constantly. A series of articles published in 1864 in le messager de paris have been collected in a pamphlet under the title of new observations on italian unity he hoped to publish during the same year his work on the political capacity of the working classes but was unable to write the last chapter he grew weaker continually his doctor prescribed rest in the month of august he went to franche comte where he spent a month having returned to paris he resumed his labour with difficulty from the month of December onwards, the heart disease made rapid progress. The oppression became insupportable. His legs were swollen, and he could not sleep. On the 19th of January, 1865, he died, towards two o'clock in the morning, in the arms of his wife, his sister-in-law, and the friend who writes these lines. The publication of his correspondence, to which his daughter Catherine is faithfully devoted, will tend, no doubt, to increase his reputation as a thinker, as a writer, and as an honest man. J. A. Longrois End of Section 2 P. J. Proudhon, His Life and Works, Part 2 Recording by Lynn Thompson